0: started a radio station. It's not even questionable they'd represent the whole nation. Unorthodox in their leanings, totally out of left field. Except for the Wine and quip lines all night. Down to the Capitol, talk to the cooks and the Catholics. Look at a map and it'll tell you it's all made in plastics. Unorthodox in their meaning. Totally out of their minds Especially the ones who lean left and right We'll let them speak their minds Time after time after time While the rest of us bicker and sip wine And quip lines all night all night what's happening to the nation at large when it is done one of them will be left in charge it makes no sense but it is where we are once again Look at yourself, look at who's left around, likely it's gonna be one of these clowns who will tell us that we are all coming around in the end, unorthodox in there. Clip quick clip all night. While three intellectuals started a radio station, I said three intellectuals started a radio station.
1: Hello, Connecticut Jews and non Jews. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine coming to you live this week from the Jewish Community Center of Greater New Haven. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hi. Hello. And Senior Writer Leah Leibowitz. Shalom, Connecticut. Shalom, Connecticut. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So listen, thank you so much for coming to our live show. This is our second live show in New Haven. We did one uh, last year downtown, and we're so excited to be here. To tell you how great New Haven is, I'm always singing the praises of New Haven to them. Yes. I was just in the bathroom at the urinal, and I looked up at the sign that, you know, because they're shrewd marketers here, and so they put the upcoming events right at eye level, which, you know, in Jewish urinals, it's shorter than other <laughs> eye levels. And the, the event we missed yesterday was the Murray Lender 5K Bagel Run. There's no other... <laughs>
2: Give wow. yourself a round of applause.
1: Yeah. You guys probably don't even know that this is the home of the Lender Brothers, do you?
3: No, but I like it.
1: But you like it, right? I it knew makes... I liked it here. Long <laughs> Island's got nothing on us, nope. baby. So, nor does Tel Aviv, Leo. <laughs> we'll take it up after We'll, t- we'll take it up after the show. All right. So, listen, before we get started, we're so excited that our guests this week include guest Jew of the Week, Lieutenant Governor Nancy Wyman. Woo! <laughs> and, you know, she's giving us the thumbs up. I don't know if we told her press people that she was coming as the Jew of the Week. Because you,
4: you never know.
1: Like, politicians, some of them don't want to be the, the Jew of the Week. But she's, she's game. And then our Gentile of the Week, the, the Gentilic Colin McEnroe. So, welcome. Um, Colin is the first ever return Gentile of the Week. So, guys... What's new, Leo, where
2: are you? you were traveling, right Leo? I was. Where were you? I was in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, why? I had my bourbon mitzvah there. It's when you have <laughs> 13 bourbons and then you feel like a man. Did, did they- <laughs> And
3: then you cry like sore. a boy.
2: <laughs> did they know what that was? Did you make that joke to them and did they have any idea what that you know, was? No, I didn't, but uh, at some point I looked up and noticed I was at 11 and then I thought, eh, you know, let's do more. Let's carry on to
3: 13. A baker's dozen.
2: What about you? A makers well,
3: doesn't. <laughs> well, I'm, I like almost didn't come tonight because you know my cat, Cat Stevens, is namesake is playing a show uh, in New York right now.
2: Yusuf, is yeah. he still Yusuf Islam? Yeah, and he's Yusuf Stevens now actually. Really? He's Yusuf slash Cat Stevens.
3: Well, it's confusing because my my cat is Cat Stevens Butnick when I go to pre- pick up his prescriptions at Walgreens. <laughs> so it's like, what is a name anyway? You know. But yeah, he really wanted to go to the concert, but like they weren't letting cats in. <laughs> So, like, here we are. <laughs>
1: Racially profiling a beloved <laughs> artist. Good. Um, well, our dog, thanks for asking about JJ, by the way. You guys forgot to ask questions.
3: Well, me. we know you're going to tell us, so it's fine. So, JJ is,
1: is still soldiering on. You know, they said that um, at the vet, and where they do give your dogs and cats last names. Why are you laughing, Leo? Just because you gave your dog back doesn't mean you can yeah, laugh I'm, at my I'm,
2: dog. I'm, I'm laughing because this JJ thing is just incredibly precious. JJ, by the way, will be dying for as long as we have a show. <laughs> the dog is like the ultimate sympathy machine for Mark. I'm, I'm not saying that this is not a real animal with real suffering. you met JJ. But I, very I have, cute. and she's lovely. But uh, JJ will be on life support for as long as we need ratings. Uh, God help that, that canine uh, will- as soon as this show is off the air. That dog's dead.
3: And Mark will always be mad that we're not asking about her. I will. <laughs>
1: Anyway,
2: she's doing fine. Thanks for asking. JJ is the Shimon Peres of the animal world. You know? It's an animal that has been in decline for a very long time now, and yet somehow will survive all of us. All right, a little news of the Jews. According to the Jewish Telegraphic
1: Agency, a statue titled Birth by the late artist Menasha Kaddishman was placed earlier this year in an art garden in Ramat Gan, which is is near Tel Aviv, right, Mm -hmm. Right, Leo? Um, It has been attracting young religious women who lie on it, believing that the statue has fertility-enhancing powers. The deputy mayor, Adva Pollock, is upset, and she issued a special statement saying, we inform the public that this statue has no special powers and is merely one of many works of art on display in the park. We welcome visitors who wish to enjoy the art, but I call on them to refrain from lying on it.
3: To be honest, at least they're not like, Trying to get pregnant there near the statue, <laughs> like lying on it. Okay, like they—they're like well, it's a little—it's enough. I actually, they my, be thought, happy.
1: my thinking was this is actually the least crazy idea that Yeshivish women have for getting pregnant, right? I mean, like they're not <laughs> writing letters to the the Rebbe, they're not like they're—they're they're touching a statue.
2: I don't know. it Didn't sound I so crazy to me. The language we informed the pu- dear public: lying on statues is not actually. Make you pregnant. This is very charming. And in other
1: news of the Jews, it was book week in Australian schools last week, and we have to invite our Australian audience development director, Alyssa Goldstein, to tell us this bit of news in her perfect Australian accent. This is like the Queen's English down-under style. Alyssa...
2: And a big round of applause for the person, really, who keeps this podcast going. Yeah, yes. Alyssa Goldstein, everyone. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Sit down here.
3: Thanks, guys. If, if want, it wasn't it for her, we would not be... Like, we physically wouldn't have gotten here today. Right. Because we would've been like, when are we leaving?
5: So fun to be on this side of the mic. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah.
1: OK, so tell us what happened in Australia this week.
5: OK, so there's this thing in Australia that's been around forever, since I was in primary school, called Book Week. And it's like a week where it's sort of the government initiative, and all the schools and all the libraries celebrate literature, especially children's literature. It's really for kids. and you talk about books, you have writers come to the school, blah, 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 and there's one day where you dress up as your favourite literary character. So I was Little Red Riding Hood in 1992. People are Harry Potter, all that sort of thing. Anyway, in a school in Alice Springs, which is in the dead centre of Australia, very, very far from anywhere else, a kid dressed up as Hitler. But it wasn't just that he dressed up as Hitler, he dressed up as Hitler on the one day of the year when there was a delegation of students from, wait for it, Bialik College in Melbourne.
1: Jewish Bialik College.
2: In in that kid's defense, the book they were reading was Elie Wiesel's Night, so this is a legitimate (laughs) character. So is the idea that you dress up as a character in a book you're reading?
5: Yeah, you dress up as your favorite literary character.
1: But wait, the story gets better than that, because the principal of St. Philip's College, where this happened, said the school deeply regretted the decision to allow the student to come dressed as Hitler, and they also regretted that he was named one of the best dressed people for book week.
3: <laughs> he was very smartly dressed. And it, but wait, it, right. gets, it gets even better. Alice Springs
1: Fashion Week. <laughs>
5: <laughs> this is from the ABC, and this is the part that blows that's my That's the Australian
1: eye. Broadcasting Company, right? ABC' ABCs actually yeah. mean something different here, Alyssa. So that's yes. okay. right.
5: This is the equivalent of like PBS or NPR. Um, the school principal says, in a busy school, this student did go to a respected staff member, and the respected staff member said it was OK. Like, he actually asked for permission. And there was an adult that said, it's fine. And then, like, the day that it happens, the Jews are there. <laughs> in this town where there are no Jews. There are no Jews in
1: Alice Springs, Australia. It's like
5: 500 miles so do you from have anything. A, as as
1: our token Australian, Alyssa, do you have a an explanation? Like, why is is perky little, you know, Pippin or whatever his name is, dressing up as Hitler. Is there a is there a, a thing going on here that we need to be worried about? Is this the sign of things to come in Australia, or is no,
5: no. I, I don't. I don't think that this. I don't think that we're quite at Trump level of disaster yet. Um, <laughs> sorry,
1: we're not at Belgium level Burn. basically. Got sorry, there. guys.
5: Um, but. I think he was probably too young to understand that he wasn't just a villainous fictional character, that he was probably someone who really did terrible things. But where I feel like maybe there needs to be some more teacher education is the the teacher's response. Right?
1: Or his parents, who let him toddle off dressed as Hitler.
5: I have so many questions. Like, what book was this kid reading? It's this guy
3: from the musical
2: The Producers. He's really cool. (laughs) Love that guy. Also,
3: how did he get, like, a tiny kid's... Hitler outfit. Like, where did he? What was he actually wearing? <laughs> did he have a
5: little magic m- yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, mustache drawn on? Mom,
1: I need a little mustache for, to win best dressed, right? Anyway, Alyssa Goldstein, thank you so much. Yeah, that was a accent.
3: Accent.
1: I also, I also think it's just hilarious that in Australia, like Jewish day schools do exchange programs with Yuden towns in the center of the continent. So like. Kids, it's time to troop off to Alice Springs 5,000 miles from nowhere to show them what a little Jew is like. I mean, that's... So, the, were you made to do that as a kid in your school? At,
2: no. Attention! You will now get on the train and you will go 500 miles, yeah? <laughs> it's like, No, that doesn't sound good at Don't all. I'm at at the, where the other covered. Jews are. No. I'm not going to Alice Springs. In
1: happier news, the world's oldest man, 113-year-old Yisrael Kristol, a Holocaust survivor living in Israel, will celebrate not his Bur bar, bur mitz, mitzvah, but his bar mitzvah, we'll celebrate his bar mitzvah. According to his daughter, 100 family members planned to gather in Haifa to celebrate the rite. Crystal was born in 1903 in Poland and missed his bar mitzvah, not because of World War II, but because of World War I, when he'd been, <laughs> he had been conscripted into the Russian army as a 13-year-old. Listen to what a boss this guy is. After getting out of the Tsar's army, he moved to Lotz in 1920 to work in his family's candy business. He continued operating the business after the Nazis forced the city's Jews into a ghetto. His two children died in the ghetto. He was deported to Auschwitz where his wife, whom he had married at 25, was killed. 1950, he moved to Haifa where he remarried, had children, and lived forever. Now, a few months ago, what were we talking about? Who was the woman who was super old? Was it like the oldest woman in America was now Jewish.
3: Yeah, well, of, it's a lot of like the super, centera- super centenarians centenarian. are Ashkenazi Jews. Like, we live forever. Yeah. I
2: would say, uh, on the night of uh, Mr. Crystal's bar, uh, bar mitzvah, it will finally be his night. You could even say it will be Kristallnacht. <laughs>
3: oh, <geez>. But by <laughs> the way, too, too soon? I respect that he didn't just like do it at 95 or 96. He literally did it at 113. Yeah, like, right. There should be a two entry that.
2: points Yeah.
4: To like this <laughs> <laughs> game. There's 13. He's like, well, I missed the other one. Later.
2: No, but the, the amazing thing is, you know, here's a man who's, who's originally, Bar Mitzvah is thwarted by by World War one and then you know World War two and then you know Korea, he something in 67, 73. Just like, it's 113 and he's like we finally reached peaceful times. I could finally <laughs> celebrate my Bar
1: Mitzvah. That's it. Everything no. is so calm. So for those of you who have missed it, there's always there's always 80 it's years always from hope. now. There's always 80 years Mazel from now. Mazel Tov to you, brother. Mazel Tov to Israel Crystal. This show is dedicated to him. Um, finally, uh, in News of the Jews, the storied Jewish fraternity A.E.Pi. Any A.E.Pi members here? Any proud brothers of A.E.Pi? Nope, not a one, ZBT? We got nothing, okay, no frat brothers here. Anyway. Um,
3: that's so I, weird, I, I thought we were in New Haven. You th-
1: I, if we were in Durham, if we were at Duke, you'd have the A.E.Pi brothers out strong, wouldn't you?
3: Uh, sure. sure, yeah, <laughs> I would try. I would call all the A.E.Pi brothers I know. Okay, well I just um, mean there's a lot of, it's a bigger Greek school, that's right?
1: true. Although Yale's getting Greekier by the day. Um, Finally, the storied Jewish fraternity AE Pi. Is it for Jews only? I'm just going to read this one from the article that ran in the forward. I can't improve on this story as reported. It begins. I mean, usually in tablets, we do improve on the forward quite a bit, <laughs> but this is one exception. They really nailed this. Okay. It begins. No one seemed to care that Un Bai was Korean American and Christian. <laughs> when. When the Ohio State University freshmen started hanging out with the Jewish brothers of Alpha Epsilon Pi, members of the fraternity quickly bonded with the affable engineering student. They didn't engage him in talks about his faith or his ethnicity. They invited him to watch football games and eat chicken at Buffalo Wild Wings. By rush season of 2014, Bay unhesitatingly chose A.E. Pi, a historically Jewish fraternity, as the house he wanted to join. And the chapter's 110 young men, all of them Jewish, were quick to welcome him in. But wait. But Bai's non-Jewish background met a very different reception when news of it got to A.E.Pi's national headquarters in Indianapolis. Soon after his admission, Grant Bigman, director of chapter operations at the national organization, paid a visit to the Ohio State House's executive board and laid out the possible consequences. If the chapter insisted on admitting a non-Jew, Bigman told them, it could face a membership review.
3: Wait, so what you're saying is that Bay wasn't Bay. I don't
4: Sorry, get it. That's Nicely like a target done. of like four people no, you here. <laughs> totally, totally
2: You're don't. about 20 years too late for okay. that joke, okay. Mark, okay, but here's it's my a very favorite,
3: funny one. Here's my favorite thing about the story. Okay, so Jewish fraternities started because Jewish kids weren't being allowed in other fraternities. And now people want to join Jewish fraternities who aren't Jewish, which you would think would be just like this great moment of inclusion and it sort of shows that actually, you know, Jewish fraternities aren't just Jewish fraternities. They're fraternities and everyone wants to join them and there's no like barrier. But you literally... The nationals are coming and saying, ooh, you know, that, that Christian kid, we, we can't have him. And it's like, so now you're not letting other people in based on their faith? Like, right. it's so hypocritical.
2: I mean, it'll be a mixed marriage if that uh, Korean kid got in, but, you know, they'll, they'll raise the kick, Jewish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've actually wondered that Jewish, that JCC nursery schools let Gentiles in because, you know, you form a little crush when you're four years old, and 20 years later, you end up with a mixed marriage. Like, the, the powers that be in Jewish organizational, communal See, no, that's, that's life, crack down on very everything. That's
2: smart though. I asked the same question uh, in the school where my kids go. Hey, Jewish you, do you day you led, school. Do you let in non-Jews? And the person said, have, have you seen the price tag? Yes. <laughs> if it matters that much to you, by all means, you've already made a huge fucking commitment. Please, welcome to our people. It actually occurs to me that we need to get Yoon Bey
1: on as a Gentile of the Week. Be Absolutely. like, brother. No, he's Jewish now. <laughs>
3: Once he pledges, yeah. That's what actually pledging is. It's like this, you have to ask three times if you could join the fraternity. And finally.
1: And then a circumcision. And then I was going to go there. there And then
3: a toga party.
2: (laughs) All right, before we. By the way, I'm sorry, how perfect is that that the national guy's name is Grant Grant Bigman? Bigman. It's like something out of Animal House. Like, it's like. So precious. If
1: I'm not mistaken, there's a major rabbi in Israel, major postdoc named David Bigman, right? I love to think that Grant Bigman is like his son. Like, he didn't want to go into the rabbinate, but he was really into Judaism in a kind of like, Frattie you know, way. fratty beer pong way. He's so like, Dad, I'm going to be director of campus operations for the National API after I get out of the army.
2: What like, other institution is there out there that's increasingly meaningless and less and less people want to join? Oh, I know. Fraternities. fraternities, fraternities,
1: right? From the army to the fraternities. So Grant Bigman, we should get Grant Bigman on with Yoon Is what we should do.
3: And we'd have him like do a chugging contest <laughs> for
2: <That's us>. right. <laughs> If Yoon Bei can drink you under the table, Grant Bigman, the winner is the only true Jew. Ooh. If the Korean kid wins, then Grant Bigman has to convert to something. Has, else.
1: To, has he to has to, to leave resign. the fraternity. That's right. <laughs> I, you know, the API tried to recruit me when I was an undergraduate. Have I told you guys about this? Yes, that? you have definitely yes, you told did. us definitely told this about okay, well,
3: it a hundred times. Didn't work.
1: Okay. Um, listen, before we bring on our uh, Jew of the Week, Lieutenant Governor Nancy Wyman, we have asked the Jubador, Jim Nable to compose a special song just for her. Um, while he comes up with his accompanist, I want to say uh, about Jim that he is a playwright and songwriter. He's the lead dude of Jim Nabel and the Randy Bandits, which you can find online. And as I said, he is our Jubador. Uh, his most famous song for us, downloaded several million times, is Holocaust Survivor Beauty Pageant Cutie Pie. No joke. Which he wrote about the Israeli beauty pageant held for elderly Holocaust survivors. It's an incredibly moving song. I'm not. I'm not kidding. Um, Christina is the accordionist for Bivolita, which you can find online at bivolita.com. B I V. Bivolita. Bivolita. What is it? What language?
2: Romanian. It's Romanian.
1: For uh which is her chamber klezmer ensemble.
2: And we should say to the lieutenant governor that, as far as I can remember, no other guest of ours has had the honor of a dedicated song intro. So thank you for being here. All right. this, Everyone. Is like, this
3: is like the Ellen show. Yeah. Jim Nabel and Christina Crowder.
0: I preside over the Senate And decide in the event of a time right, to do what's right, and in cases of impeachment, or if the governor resigns, or in the event of death or dismemberment, I am the next in line. behind the one who's always showing it, I'm the Lieutenant Governor, your second best friend. My term, it has no limit. My duty Are all assigned by the one with whom I share that ticket. Lieutenant Governor, your second-best friend.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the unorthodox stage, Lieutenant Governor Nancy Wyman.
2: Yes!
6: <laughs> oh my please. God! we've got it on tape now. I can take it home to my husband, who happens to be, I will tell you a member of A.E.Pi. Your husband's a member of A.E.Pi? <laughs> <laughs> Sit down. Your yes, he a was. husband's member of A.E.Pi? He was, yep, in the University of Florida. Were you AE5? No, I wasn't up there. With this accent, you think I can go to Florida? (laughs) (laughs) I'm from New York. They can
1: only take me here in Connecticut. (laughs) Now, wait a second. Before we go any further, you were the 108th governor of the great state of- But that's not my age. Lieutenant governor. You were the 108th lieutenant governor of the great state of Connecticut. You got your start in politics on the board of education of the great town of Tolland, Connecticut, where you were one of six Jews or something 12? I don't that, know. That we got that high? Do you know, I know, so my friend Jason Martyr said that you guys used to hang out in Tallinn. Oh my
6: God, you know Jason. I know Jason. I knew marri-
1: from, he was this big. He married my friend, Jen Broder, oh, and she said, I found a Jew wonderful. from Tallinn, Connecticut. Yeah, You're not going to believe it. it. There aren't that many of us there. There weren't that many of you. Um, anyway, so he says hi. She became Thank the you. state's first female controller, which sounds like the title of another Jim Nables song, first female <laughs> controller, and then later became lieutenant governor in 2011. Um, Lieutenant Governor, it's such an honor to have you here. I'm to just have to kick off and say, when you were controller, did you pronounce it comptroller or control? What's it's with the p? Comptroller. Spell it C-O-M-P-T-R-O-L-L-E-R.
6: You pronounce the p. I do. Interesting. Because right. nobody knows what the difference is, so it doesn't matter. It just sounded different than controller.
2: So I have to ask you. This yeah. is this is inspired also by by Jim's song, but it, it strikes me that there's something really. Um, profoundly strange about having a relationship with with another person. Whoa, 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 whoa! And there's no relationship. Uh, well, but, 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 but I'm glad to hear that. I, I, uh, I just that wanted to noticed. get this right. But but right. but if the governor does, as Jim put it, so so wonderfully, uh, you know, gets dismembered or impeached or anything, you're next in line. Does that influence yeah. the relationship? Do you ever look at him and be like, eh, you know? Oh no, we just don't talk about it.
6: He'll do, do what it, it. he'll do what he has to do, you know, and then we'll. Maybe don't get
2: your medical checkup this year. You know, your your car fine. No, 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 no.
6: I gotta take that. I gotta get my medical. You know, I I believe in medical records, so I can turn it
3: over (laughs) if anybody asks me. (laughs) So
2: nicely done.
3: Okay, so you're like the most famous person we've had on our show. You're a lieutenant governor. Can Wait, you excuse give me, us- this
6: is only your first show, so I'm not going to get on the big head by so any So can way.
3: you tell us like what a typical day in the life of a lieutenant governor is like? Just give us, give us a sense. There's no step.
6: such thing as a typical day. Leaving the house at uh, 7, 7.30, depends upon who picks you up. They're either 15 minutes early or 15 a, minutes late. Do you have a driver? you uh, have a driver? No, I have a state trooper. Ooh. I, don't, I don't call a driver. Um, yeah, it's kind of neat. He's got a gun and everything. Um, LAUGHTER I don't know why he does, but he's sitting back there. Darn, I, I got to say, things nice. Um, so they picked me up. We, you know, this morning I had a meeting in town with somebody from uh, Washington, and then from there I went into a, a meeting with the hospital association, and then from there I went to a meeting about Affordable Care Act, and then I went to a, I had another meeting in the office, and so we've been on the road a lot today. What's your favorite
2: part of your job?
6: People. I really do love people. I, as you can tell, I do come from Brooklyn, New York, and <laughs> wait, Flat we got to we got to get this. in. where'd you go to high school? Lafayette. That's not there
1: anymore. Oh, <laughs> I knew we'd get someone who would love that fact. Oh, thank that you, would you very be great. much. Thank you very much.
6: Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I I love my job. I love getting out there. I Love meeting with people. Uh, you know, I love. Um, it's the only place that, uh, you know, they could understand. The reason I got elected is because they couldn't understand me when I went door knocking, to be honest with you. <laughs> and they said, well, we can't understand that. I'm sure she's going to do a good
1: job. That's why. So, um, look, we have to talk politics before we get back to... Lu- we have okay. to talk the national scene before okay. we get back I'm, I'm, to I'm ready. the more important work I'm of ready. lieutenant governor. They gave me notes. Can you explain... why don't Why don't we dive in this way? Can you explain why the race has tightened in the past? week or so. What's going on that some people are saying, I know I should vote for Trump. Oh God, nobody should.
6: Um, but the, the, I, when my feeling is is that the polls are always going up and down. You know what? When people would say when right after the convention, oh Hillary's so far up, she's going to win. That was a bump from the convention. That doesn't stay that way. And if you look back in history, you don't see that happening. We just, I mean, as, as uh Hillary, De- Hillary delegate and, and a friend and somebody I really care about. Um, She's going to get out there. She's going to push that, her word. Um, and I do believe that Trump will continually um, mess up. How much do you hate Trump? I, I, you know, my mother taught me not to hate. But boy, <laughs> do I dislike that son of a gun. Okay. Um, now, you know what? I just think he's in the wrong path. I just think that he's not thinking about people. And, and the reason I got into politics is I started out as an x-ray technician or a candy striper, I cared about people. And I don't think he cares about people. I think he looks at what he can accomplish for himself first. If you listen to what he said to those gold, gold star parents, of what, what he thought sacrifice was when they lost their, their child, this man does not know. What it's about
1: to take care of people.
7: So, well,
1: so I I want to try out a theory on you that I've that I've been pushing, and I think okay. I think Leal and Stephanie agree with me on this. The, okay. That um, that it's really hard to imagine why a Jew would vote for Trump. And the reason I mean, I, what I've said is, if you can look at his rallies, if you can look at the mockery of say the disabled and immigrants, and then look at his fascist-looking rallies. There's something that would, would have to send chills down the spine of, I would think, uh, most Jews, given what we know of history. And he's not doing well in the Jewish vote, but he's gonna get, he'll get 15 or 20 percent. What do you think is going on there? I th- you know, I don't know. I, maybe they're upset with
6: other things that happen. But I, I have to tell you that, that um, my granddaughter gets into the car a year ago, who's 14 years old, and she says, Grandma... We're moving to Canada." <laughs> and I thought she meant that her f- father was being transferred or her mother was being transferred and they were going to move. And I said, Lindsay, what are you talking about moving to Canada? She said, Grandma, we can't afford that to live in a, a country with that guy. And I said, oh, okay, good, Then I feel so bad. And, but then she said, later on, Grandma, we could have gone to Mexico, but you couldn't climb the wall.
2: Um, <laughs> So, so is, is there a position for you in, in the Clinton administration? Absolutely what, not. What would you like to do? You just well, called her a friend, Lieutenant I don't, Governor. I, I, I think you I, were I saying do, there's a position is, for you. She
6: is a friend. And I've met her, and I've had the privilege of meeting Hillary Clinton. I really believe in this woman. I've been on places where you know we sat together with groups of other people and really talked about issues and what she cares about. And, and this was years ago. This wasn't now. This was years ago. And she wasn't running for, for president then. At least not verbally, then. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she's a real person. And I, I, I really like her that way. She might not come across that way. I wish she could do that. But I believe in Hillary. But I'm also scared of Trump. I'm scared of him for the future of my ch- grandchildren and my children. I'm scared of, him, uh, of what he can do when he gets angry. You know, he snaps too fast for me. I need somebody that will take their time and think about the issues. There's too much involved with this position as president of the, the most wonderful country, with all due respect, but the most wonderful <laughs> oh, country.
2: I, I moved here for a reason. Oh, right. OK. I, I'm oh,
1: that's actually, good. Thank, thank home. you. Leo's actually studying his in English for his citizenship test right now. He's, he's actually. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> I'd
6: love to swear you in. Now, okay.
1: Um, we just made a should up. Leo, can can know, Lieutenant I Governor? That's not, nothing. More. That would be amazing if good. you swore him in after he passes. If he passes good. the test. Yeah, he will. Yeah. I have faith. Yeah. As a Lieutenant Governor, when you get together with the other Lieutenant Governors, which mm-hmm. I assume you do, right? Mm-hmm. There's yeah. like, there's yeah. a, a Facebook group, right? No, but no, we, we go. To, <laughs> I wouldn't know that. They don't let me go on Facebook. You um, know, I'm not
6: like him that tweets. Um, so uh, <laughs> him that tweets. He who tweets. He, he who tweets. He, he who tweets you know. Uh, no, I, we do. I was uh, the. In fact, I was the chairman of the na- National Lieutenant Governors Association. So when you're
1: when you're really breaking it down with the other lieutenant governors, yeah. you're like it's it's after hours. You've all had a few. Mm. Who's the lieutenant governor you all revere, either now or in history? The lieutenant governors,
2: lieutenant governors, right? The asking. lieutenant governors, I,
6: lieutenant governor. I, you know, I think they all think they're the ones. <laughs> 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 I don't think there is anybody. You know. Um, those that maybe left and made a lot of money, but I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, they really do reveal themselves.
1: Are you going to run for governor?
6: Are you asking? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it depends on what happens.
1: You can see, Collins here. I can't say anything. <laughs> Are you saying it depends who gets dismembered, Lieutenant Governor? No. Is that what you're no <laughs> yeah, it depends I on did. what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is there anything about this political season? But it's the most bizarre one, yeah. I, certainly in my lifetime, and probably in the lifetimes of a lot of us. Do you have any sense of why this has happened? I mean, you, I, you know, Liel had his had his money on Marco Rubio. Actually, he gave you his say? money to Marco Rubio.
2: Thanks a lot, universe. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um, do you have an explanation? Do you have a diagnosis for your? You know, we have listeners in like eighty countries. Only one or two of them in most of those <laughs> countries. But I was I was looking at our geographic breakdown. We have a listener in Chad. Nice. Chad, you know, if they're saying what's going on in America, do you have a diagnosis for this political season? You
6: know, I, I do think people are unhappy. I do think that people are unhappy. I think that um, the other party, they weren't ready for him. I think that they had much better candidates. But he, this guy stood up and changed his mind every 10 minutes. So one minute he's for this, the next minute he's against it, and then the next minute he's for it again. I don't know what's going on. If I, if I could, I'd probably be making a million dollars right now. I just hope this country really listens to the next 50 days, 50 days in about five minutes, and I am counting, that says this is a better country,
1: and we can't have him as our leader. All right, well, Lieutenant Governor Nancy Wyman, thank you so much for joining us. Will you come back to Thanks. Swear in Leo? I would love to do
6: that. God bless. Thank you so much. Mazel tov, anyway. Mazel tov on your production.
1: Before, before we get to uh, our Gentile of the Week, um, I'd like to invite the Jubador back up for a second, if you would. He is going to write a song using your suggestions, and he'll come back at the end of the show to perform it. Now. Jubador Nabel, do you have any particular like? Should I ask for just?
0: So far, I'm interested in the 113-year-old who had a bar mitzvah. Very promising. I'm looking for a chorus, and then I'm looking for ideas to fill in verses. Anything
2: else you want Jim Nabel to sing about? Now is your chance. What have you always wanted a Jubador to Jubador about? Right. That's just what, throw in phrases, sort of ideas. what are brainstorming together. What are you thinking about? What's what's in your mind? Why would a Jew
1: yeah. vote for Trump today? Anything. Might come up with ideas about that. Anything else? We'd like to get these on, on, on record. Okay, we got it. Wait, don't say it yet. Alyssa's coming with the microphone. Murray Lenders Bagels. Mm. Murray Lenders Bagels. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's strong. Delicious that's very, bagels. very New Haven legit. Very New Haven real.
2: The culture clash between Jewish stereotypes and Connecticut stereotypes. Oh, yeah. All right.
1: Jews slash I, think
3: I think there's a lot there.
1: All right, a couple more. Other topics, other topics for the Jubador to work into the song he's writing special for you. Oh, I
3: have an idea. Okay. The, 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 the Yiddish word for what you say when you wear a new outfit. I like that a lot. What well, was it again?
1: Oh. Tragazons. Okay. Uh, I have one. Okay.
5: Uh, children dressed as Nazis.
1: Children
2: dressed as Nazis. I wrote that one down already. Yeah. And, and just, right. just for giggles, yeah. uh, let's work Shimon Peres in there as well. I'm sure he would appreciate and it. And Mark's dog, JJ.
4: Uh, and JJ. I hope he's feeling great right now.
1: You need anything more, Jim? Um, just
0: Probably
3: like my cat, Cat Stevens. I mean, he, well, he has yeah, to be in so every I took notes
1: on all that. But yeah, anything
0: else specific to what you're thinking about? Jewish fraternities? About? We
1: heard of Jewish fraternities. Jewish fraternities, yeah. Fantastic. All right. Okay. We send you off. We'll welcome you okay. back in about 20 minutes.
4: Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streety.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y.
1: Ladies and gentlemen of the Jewish Community Center of Greater New Haven, our Gentile of the Week, our first ever repeat Gentile of the Week is Colin McEnroe. (laughs) All right. I'm now going to say a bunch of things about Colin that I think are true, or that the web tells me are true, and he'll correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he's the longest ever, longest ever serving columnist for the Hartford Current. True. 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 Okay. I believe he is a predecessor of mine as a religion reporter for the Current. True. True. A and handsome I, man. <laughs> Debatable. What was that?
2: A handsome man. A
1: handsome man. A gentile. A gentile. A Gentile? Yeah. Gentile. No well, uh, do I
7: have to ascend
1: to all of these? Yeah, you have so yes, to ascend to all do. that. Have you done the 23andMe, the, the spit swab? To I have done that, yes. Are you
7: all Gentile? I'm part Neanderthal. Part yes. Neanderthal. Yeah. <laughs> and I, re- I do resent some of the slurs, too. So, <laughs> you know... But there's no, no Jew in
1: you, as far as you know. It didn't no come, Jew in no me. Jew no Jew in you. Okay, not at all. I'm not proud to say that. I okay. would like to be, uh, you know. We'd like to have you.
2: Yeah. you. can be arranged. We have it so great. I mean, really, you've been missing out on a lot, <laughs> historically speaking. I want to join the fraternity with the Korean guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, um, and I believe he's also, who knows if this is true, but are you the longest ever serving Connecticut radio host? Nah. Nah. Who's nah. ahead of you Bob in that?
7: Steel. Bob Steele. Bob Steele was on the air for... I guess that's Bob Steele, true. I think, is maybe the longest serving radio host in America. In America,
1: yeah. in, in history. Um, Colin is on uh, WNPR 90.5 every day at 1 o'clock with a repeat later in the day. He wrote the classic humor essay, I Am Machiko Kakutani, as well as several books. And we're really excited to have him here. Another round of applause for Colin.
2: Yes.
7: So can I just reveal like one thing for the listening audience? So this is Appy's idea of like refreshments and cocktail hour. He's brought these little tiny bottles little. of alcohol, the kinds you get on airplanes. They have on the drink cart, you know. This is like how you get through the SATs or
3: something. I mean, what is, what is no, this? No, it's what you bring to prom. This yeah. is how
7: you get to having four daughters. <laughs> <laughs> Did he offer to be some like that Captain Morgan stuff and everything? It's just so like you're no saying.
1: You... You're saying that at the at the Christian Radio Hour, there's real booze. There there's
7: full like... the, <laughs> bottles, right? Yeah, yeah. For, the, for each person, it depends which which Christian. I mean, Episcopalians, yes. I mean, you know, you start drinking around three o'clock, <laughs> but. Um, the Baptist, not so much. Just two really quick things. One of them is just to build on, the, on Alyssa's story. Uh, I was uh, doing a, a gig at a local prep school, actually, with uh, a guy named Steve Metcalf, a musician and writer, Steve Metcalf, whom Oppie knows. And he's kind of the guy, like, if Eeyore were really funny, <laughs> You know, that's Metcalf. And so we're, we're getting ready to do this thing, and we walk backstage to use the bathroom. And as we walk backstage, we walk right into a big rack of Nazi uniforms. And Metcalf, without breaking stride, just says, I certainly hope they're doing Sound of Music. <laughs> um, so. Um, and then I want to tell you one thing about Nancy Wyman. It's useful to people who live in Connecticut. So, um, it'll one, stay in
1: this room too. Just so you can totally be frank about it. No, no, now, this just is just good. This actually
7: you. might be nationwide too. Okay. It might be true of all lieutenant governors. So one of the things that she does is like if there's an emergency. You know, and the governor is in the uh, emergency operations center, she stands next to him and she never says anything. And she has this kind of lieutenant governor poker face that she just keeps on the entire time. But I feel over time that I can divine the gravity of the crisis based on, she has sort of a, you know, resting bitch face, she has a resting crisis face. And so (laughs) you look at her resting crisis face, and I feel like if the governor's saying, look, it's just a few zombies, cover your mouth with a wet handkerchief and drive (laughs) north, I can look at Nancy and tell whether that's gonna work or not, you know, whether there's any chance I'm
2: getting out of this. So between Between we're out of seersucker and hurricane. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) I I found her,
1: I've never met Daniel Malloy, I should say. And as you know, I'm not a, a political reporter, political junkie. I found her immensely more likable as a campaigner than he is. I mean, I think there must be people in Hartford who say, why isn't she the one giving all the speeches? Is that, is that well, a common reaction?
7: Yeah. yeah. I mean, first of all, and you like ability, and Dan Miller, that's not a hard, high bar for her to clear, right. but um, he's got a 24% approval rating right now. Right. Shingles has a 26% <laughs> approval rating, so, you know. Is she gonna run for governor? I, I think she, well, first of all, we, we did talk about that out in the audience before the thing. She came over to me. The politicians do this. They think, they claim, oh, well, I wouldn't want to talk to him. She comes over and <laughs> she goes, what do you think I should do?
2: <laughs> I, think, what, I don't what know. What do you think she should do? <laughs> yeah. Because you could be her lieutenant governor. Right. No, I actually want to be
7: your sidekick when you spin off, when you do like your spin off. Why I do want you to be assume like that Liel side, is the one getting a spinoff? You know? off yeah, I, th- I think I think Stephanie. Yeah, is Stephanie is uh, actually the person. A spin off? Line. Oh yeah,
1: she's in talks right now with the other podcast
7: network. Is that really we, true? Yeah, yeah, they're oh trying to poach God. me. Because yeah. I, you know, driving down here, I listen to Ben Shapiro. You're so
2: much funnier than Ben Shapiro. You should have your own show. Well, we appreciate that, but you know, I'm, to use a term of art, uh, I'm kind of fuck this election season because I'm the Republican conservative, you know, NRA lifetime card-carrying member who's forced to sit here and be like. Yeah, you're right. It's absolutely better that your candidate wins than yeah. whatever my party's doing. That's that's not that's not a selling proposition. Has that
1: Leal has that made the weight loss easier? <laughs> it hasn't. Leal's dropped 100 pounds in the past six months.
2: 120. Fuck you, you, but yeah. thank you.
1: Look, and I want to say. We loved, Le- we loved Liel as a larger person, but he wanted to be a less large person. That's him up there at three six five three fifty. 350. These are, bu- are before I, and after I pictures. I always knew
2: that someday I would be sitting uh, right beneath a giant photograph of myself. I always assumed <laughs> it would be a mugshot.
1: <laughs> but this is nice, too. Hey, Colin, this is. I, I know we, we have to talk more about politics, but I've been meaning to ask you this. I think I've, I've told you that I wanted to ask you this. You have gotten back to church lately.
7: I have. I mean, I, you could even say, even though I did do the same job that you have done, I've never really ever gone to church on a regular basis until quite recently. Right. And, it was, I, and I go went, every Sunday now.
1: You went professionally as a yeah. religion reporter for right. a number of years and out of curiosity. And now you found a church whose minister is dying, mm-hmm. right, of, of Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. And you go every Sunday. Every Sunday, yeah. And have you done any shows of your own about it on...
7: I've done one or two shows with her, uh, and I've, we've done other shows where we've alluded to this. And I think the listeners, I mean, NPR, I used to be, as you know, on a, the lone liberal voice on a very conservative talk radio station. And I was, in that context, you know, if you come across as, say, a secular humanist, you're, you're under great suspicion, you know, that you're supposed to sort of kind of salute the flag of religion. You move over to public radio, and it's exactly the opposite. Like, I at one point put the auxiliary bishop of Connecticut, this is, you know, five, six years ago, uh, Peter Rosazzo, who's a very interesting guy, kind of an intellectual, and all these... public radio atheists were emailing me saying, saying, that's rank superstition. Why are you putting rank superstition? Well, it's more like an organized religion, actually, than rank superstition, but you know, I know. Well, I think
1: you. one reason Krista Tippett changed the name of her show yeah. from Speaking of Faith to On Being was because too many NPR listeners wouldn't listen to a show that had the word faith in it.
7: Right, uh, she has told me that that was an uphill climb for her, but also now she can book anybody. It's true. It's like you know you call up anybody. (laughs) They're not going to say, "Well, I don't do that kind of show." On being, you know, I mean, (laughs) everybody bees. Everybody bees. Everybody bees.
1: So, um, the title of your next book. (laughs) I mean, I don't. I don't mean to be prurient or pornographic about this, but Uh has there been like a? Has there been a? What's the content of your faith these days? Have have you discovered that you believe in God, whereas before you didn't? Have you? Do you believe in the resurrection, whereas
2: before you didn't? And might we uh, interest you in the one true faith?
7: (laughs) Well, first of all, I love that that's your idea of a prurient or pornographic question. <laughs> um, yeah, this
3: is NSFW. <laughs> and this is one Captain Morgan nip yeah. in. Yeah.
7: And and it was interesting because during the warm-up, you were saying, well, what if somebody yells hallelujah or some other inappropriate? I thought, Jews say hallelujah? Don't they say hallelujah? It's a Hebrew phrase. Well, Leonard you, Cohen says it.
3: Yeah, Leonard Cohen no says one it. Else.
7: So <laughs> I hear. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, I can't imagine that anyone cares about this besides me, but um, the answer to the question is, I I go to church because, A, I feel better when I come out than when I went in, and B, it's good to stop and think about everything a different way. I think, you know, particularly during the last 15 months or so, it's been an enormous relief uh, to go someplace else and think about something in a very different way. You know, the degree to which I, I... what I am, and I've actually, um, I'm up this year for most improved Christian. Uh, and I, I think I might get that, but uh, I don't know that I'm really... The really, MIC of the yeah, game, yeah. Yeah, but in terms
2: of the power rankings of how much of a Christian I am, I'm still way down there. So here's a question, though. Having spent so much of your time sort of thinking about this and, and reporting on this professionally, when you now go to, to church to experience it, do, do you find that you... Sort of overthink it because you know you know the process too much. You're thinking too much. Questions: Are you able to just make that switch and let like? Go? I, s- I see the wires. Right. You yeah. you sort of like <laughs> oh, I know what they're doing. You know. Are,
7: are you? I don't have that problem. I, you know, one thing Api I think would confirm is that when you're when you do that job, that this other job, you never meet a Mormon. You meet like the Mormon. You know. <laughs> you never meet a Baptist or a, a Hare Krishna adherent. You meet the Hare Krishna right. You meet the one person who's making news, who's getting a newspaper out to talk to them. So you always meet the fullest and perhaps most extreme expression of whatever it is that you're writing about. And you know, I'm very happy. One of the things I like about church is I just sit there and I sing a couple of hymns with everybody else. And then, you know, and I, I like just the fact that it's a very Average Christian experience. I mean, it's very profound for me, but I, you know, no, I don't. I'm not looking at it that way because the the thing that you report on is always such an extreme expression of whatever the thing is, and so, that's not our average Sunday. You know? So,
3: what has been going on in the past fifteen months that has driven you <laughs> back to church? Like, could you just like yeah. articulate a little bit? Because like, I don't, know, I haven't been I, paying attention. You know,
7: yeah. Well, you know, hope becomes a, you know, and things like that become very uh, interesting commodities. Uh, in in this election season, I'm teaching a class right now, a college class on the press and this presidential cycle. I do it every four years. I teach it kind of in real time. But I feel as a member of the press, like I've been on trial the whole time. It's like the Bernie people think I'm in. The, and this is just my experience, but it's happened to everybody. I talk to everybody who works in in, in this world, and they're all having the same experience. The Bernie people thought we were in the tank for Hillary and building up Trump too much. The Hillary people think we're overcritical of her. The Trump people think that we are ha- we have this reductive way of, of, of understanding their adherence to him. And but the press is really on trial all the time and people are on social media just screaming at me <laughs> night and day. So yeah, I'm really happy to have a little refuge where I can go be quiet. I was thinking that in previous
1: years if, like, if Mitt Romney or John McCain had appointed as campaign CEO a guy whose ex-wife said he didn't want our daughters going to the private school with, quote, all the whiny Jews, that could actually have ended their campaigns. Like, the little things that don't even make a dent in Trump's hair helmet could have been, dominated the news for a week or two with previous candidates. How does one account for the the inability of the press to make any of these little things matter more
7: well i I, first of all i feel like the press i will speak for the press we i think we do try but there's first of all there's a fire hose problem right if you're just constantly Engaging in outrages and offenses—it's hard for any one of them to stand out. Uh, and, and I mean, he just sort of has kept it up. The other thing is, he had established this persona long, long before he ran for president, right? I mean, this—we've never. This is something we really haven't had: somebody who has a persona that was sculpted in the world of reality television. And, and reality television, by the way, is completely based. Almost every reality show is based on the idea of getting rid of somebody, right? Like, at the end, whether it's American Idol or Survivor uh, or or The Apprentice, what happens at the end is you get rid of somebody. And that's a kind of tempting view, because in life you can almost never get rid of anybody, right? I mean, it's hard. Like, the people in your life, they're not going anywhere. The people in your workplace, the people you like the least, they're not going anywhere, all right? They're going to be there tomorrow when you come into work. Whoever it is who's kind of getting on your nerves, they're not going anywhere. So that's why these shows are incredibly popular, because there's this incredible fantasy. You can actually get rid of somebody who's a pain in the ass. Uh, or who's not pulling their weight. And so that's the world that he came out of this sort of fantasy world of this uh, This guy who, who could make that thing happen, you know And then on top of that he had this uh, whole other encrusted celebrity even before the the apprentice came along He was a famous guy and, and I think in a way it sort of created some space for him to do some Objectionable things that yeah, you're right a lot of other candidates could not have gotten away with
1: We have a little time. Do we we have time to take three or four questions for Colin, if anyone has any? Yes, ma'am.
5: I just read a great article in The Economist that was talking about truthism and are we in the post-truth political arena? I'm wondering what you all think about the future of Trumpism and if he's going to just sort of fall away after this if he does not become president or if this is the beginning of something quite larger throughout the world,
8: not just in this country.
2: I'll start on a somber note, and, and I'll keep my somberness brief. I think no matter what happens, Trump has already won. Um, and and I pray uh, to God that this would not be true in the literal sense, but uh, in in a wider sense, it's not this Trump I'm worried about. It's, it's two or three Trumps from now. Uh, because the knowledge that we have collectively not been able to stop this fundamentally corrupt, vile human being who represents absolutely nothing but his own self-interest and greed, that we as a country have not been able to wise up to it, uh, that we have not produced the kind of institutions that generated the real outrage that kicked him back to whatever hellish hole he came in from uh, is extremely disconcerting to me, and I don't know how you build up that kind of defense uh, ever again.
7: Yeah, I, what I would say is uh, Oh <laughs> that's a strange thing to applaud for. But yeah, I, I was understand about saying, what like, you're I, I know we're where applauding
2: you're, the end of you're, civilization. You're, you're Yay. Playing, playing. Yay. We were your, here to see it. Yeah, we, we your can
7: pithiness go home. and your conciseness. I, I mean I have so many things to say about this, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, I do think like the first casualty of the Trump campaign has been John Locke you know that that, that notion <laughs> that you know empiricism that empirical reality is testable and stuff like that I Sorry, mean I love
2: it John Locke and Chris Christie yeah actually
7: I think it was Ben, ben Shapiro recently described uh, Christie for those of you who watch Game of Thrones as. He has become reek to Don, Donald Trump's Ramsey Bolton. Um, so, so I think that's the first victim, is, is sort of that, that notion that reality is testable. I don't think it started here. I mean, you can look back at Ron Susskind's book about the Bush administration where there's this somebody who we kind of know as Karl Rove, who at a certain point says to Susskind about something, oh you're still in the reality-based community, right? So this has been going on for a while. And what you encounter now on social media, where you can come up, you can make your own truth, and then have it reinforced over and over again, is people who just say, look, I don't believe any fact-checking source. I think they're all corrupted and slanted. And I don't necessarily believe any politician. I think they all lie. And you see people kind of collapsing into this helpless agnosticism. and. and And I do feel as though, I mean, just very quickly, I feel as though Trump went another bridge too far with the whole thing about did he support the rush into Iraq. And he keeps citing this 2004 interview in Esquire as proof that he opposed the invasion of Iraq. 2004, of course, way after the invasion of Iraq. So not only has he destroyed John Locke, he he may have destroyed Isaac Newton, too, just in terms of like space and time no longer really work the way they used to. Stephanie, what do you think?
3: Well, to quote my grandfather, who's the smartest person I know, he said, you know, even if Trump loses, we still have the hundreds of thousands of people who are voting for him and who support him. And, and, and these, these sort of, these people that have come out of the woodwork at these rallies, like, they're not going anywhere. Even if Trump loses and goes, like, into whatever, you know, goes into oblivion, which obviously is not going to happen, right? He's going to stay public. But the people, this, these sort of, like, uh, fringes that he's activated, they're still around.
1: Uh, final question,
8: sir? So I like how Colin uh, danced around and avoided the question of faith with respect to what drove him to start experiencing a church on a regular basis. And it makes me wonder, what are some of the positive things that people who aren't sure at any given time how they plot on the faith diagram but still go to organize religious services to get a variety of positive experiences from them? And what are the limits that we think um, there are for that. For example, if Colin goes to church regularly and feels more hopeful afterwards, that seems like a good thing. If, if I go to shul um, and I take positive messages from that, that's a good thing. Is that true for any religion? Is that true for a Satanist? So what, what, are, what are the limits to what we think we can take from these experiences with or without faith?
7: You know I will just say this and I um, mean this I had a, an experience this Sunday where uh, just at the beginning of the uh, of the service uh, somebody got up and just to kind of uh, kind of set the tone read a passage from Matthew and um, and my eyes welled up with tears involuntarily and I And I said, actually, this is the kind of church that I attend. There's a discussion period. I I always say that we're Quaptists because not only this is a Baptist church, but they're like Quakers. They like stop and talk about everything, you know, every single week. And so during the Quaptist period, I I said, you know, I, I described welling up with tears at the reading of the scripture. And I said, it's really metaphorically anyway, the first thing I've heard all week that wasn't complete bullshit. Um, this is the kind of church I attend where you can actually say that. As long as you're saying it affirmatively about scripture, you know, it's like the only thing I heard that wasn't bullshit. But I kind of mean that, that there's sort of a, um, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, either way, there are moments of th- these words have now been spoken and, and thought about and poured over for, for thousands of years. Some of the messages in them are really important. Uh, you know, I mean, I have a friend, Hugh Blumenfeld, who was the state troubadour of Connecticut, another strange office, we, we have a state troubadour. Uh, and, and we don't he, have a state jubador yet no, though. No, well, right. there's, there's room, there's room, but um, he, he has this song called That Long-Haired Radical Socialist Jew, that's <laughs> uh, about Jesus, you know, so yeah, these messages are really important, an important thing to think about, and um, I don't know, I think the sky's the limit in terms of what you can get, you know, I mean, I guess even theologically, the sky isn't the limit of what you can get. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Colin McEnroe, thank you for being our first ever Returned Gentile of the Week.
4: Hey J.Crew, it is time for some Podbiz.
1: And so back from the deep seclusion chamber, having taken our suggestions and yours, we invite for one final song, along with accompanist accordionist, Christina Crowder of the Bivolitsa Ensemble, the Jubador, Jim Nable. Please let me into
0: the Jewish fraternity. I am 113 years old. I have a cat who's converted to Islam. And I think that Murray Lender's bagels are the bomb. let me into the Jewish fraternity even though I voted for Trump and dressed like Hitler for Australian Book Week which I like to do when the Jewish college students come. Chagazons. Chagazons. Am I it right? Chagazons. You look great, trucker's arms. Really? Turn the page, please listen, thank you. Please let me into the Jewish fraternity, even though I'm from Connecticut. I have a dog who's been dying for many years, similar to Teres Kamashimung. Trucker's arms. Trucker's
1: Before we leave you, I just wanna mention that Tablet has a wonderful new print magazine that comes out quarterly. Uh, It is formerly on newsstands near you. It is now by subscription only, and you can get it at tabletmag.com. So we would encourage you all to go buy your New Year's gifts for your friends, Buy early for the Hanukkah gift. Buy early for next Shavuos. It's the print magazine. Go to tabletmag.com to order our print magazine. You can subscribe to us on the web and on iTunes. You can find everything at tabletmag.com. Now, time for our Mazel Tovs of the Week. Liel, who's your Mazel
2: Tov for this week? My Mazel Tov of the Week goes to the three um, Israeli Paralympians uh, who had won gold medals in the Paralympic Games that just concluded in Rio, proving once again that you could take our arms and our legs, but you can't take away our desire to kick your ass. <laughs> Stephanie, mazel tov this week? I actually have two.
3: Um, my first is to Peg Ryan, who's one of our listeners um, in South Dakota which I was really excited about. Um, she emailed me to say she couldn't download the podcast, but I started emailing with her. And sorry, did you
2: say one of our listeners in South Dakota implying we had other listeners in South Dakota? Oh,
3: she ends her email saying, that's right, you have a listener in South Dakota. <laughs> Peg Ryan <laughs> sits, alone sits alone in and, her and car the And I actually
2: love, the dark. I love
3: Peg Ryan because she found us through Mark, Your Appearance on OMG WTF Bible, which she heard about from the Interfaith Voices podcast. So oh she is like literally in our like Venn diagram she's like of, of listeners. the most well-meaning,
1: liberal, Protestant, or Catholic in the world. She List. She starts with the interfaith podcast and just moves Jewier and Jewier from there. Yeah.
3: So, so, hey Peg, um, my second milestone is to me because on Thursday when this airs, I will be officially in my late, late, late twenties because I turned twenty nine
2: on Thursday. Ooh, yeah. It's literally right.
3: the never-ending twenties. Like they'll never end.
2: What's funny is I remember. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna clap for twenty anything. <laughs> I love you and I care about you deeply. You but, will clap uh, for me. But, but. but
1: 29. I thought I know, we agreed it's... a year ago on the show when you turned 28 that you were in your late 20s, but apparently you were holding out on us. So you didn't this really might, think like, you were. Really
4: late, 20s. really late 20s. Stephanie's
2: 20s is like JJ's illness. It will go on forever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Producer Shira Talushkin, do you want to come up and give a mazel tov this week?
5: So after a summer of many months of failures and starts and failures and starts, my housemate has finally perfected his sourdough starter. So that has meant a week full of lavender saffron rolls and um, a turmeric parmesan loaf that I hope will continue for many months. So mazel tov, Jacob Abulafia.
1: Jacob Abulafia's sourdough starter.
5: Alyssa, do you have a mazel tov? My mazel tov is for my dad, Jacob Goldstein, who turns 69 in a week. He's quite modest, so I think he'd be almost embarrassed if he knew that i was mentioning this on the air but i don't think he actually listens to the end of the podcast so he's probably not going to hear this so mazel tov to jacob um may you live to be 120.
1: jacob goldstein in australia um hey jim do you jim do you have a mazel tov? jim nabel the jubilee you have to sing it you can't yeah, speak sure in a normal do. voice
0: uh you know i can see well okay this is for my brother, Sonny Nabel, who uh, got married a couple weeks ago to a lovely Swiss-French woman named Valentine Biolet. And together, they go around singing uh, French jazz songs together.
1: Wow. Yeah. All right, Sonny Nabel. I married. Um, I have an exceptionally hokey mazel tov um, this week. Um, <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I picked my daughters up from Hebrew school the other day, and they would really had a wonderfully good time. And you know, that runs contrary to everything we think we know about religious school, Jewish or Gentile in America, which is that it's to be feared. And so I just wanna my mazel tov is for Mora Helene and Mora Susan and Mora Shlomid and Mora Aina. And you know, they take the daughters off our hands for three hours every Sunday morning and return them, I'd say even better for the wear. So my Mazeltav is to them. <laughs> Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine, on the web at tabletmag.com. It is edited this week by Shoshi Shmulovitz and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin. The rabbinic supervision this week was by Mara Balk of the Jewish Community Center of Greater New Haven. The kosher slaughtering was by Edward Albee's characters, George and Martha. Our website is tabletmag.com. Follow Tablet on Facebook or on Twitter at Tablet Mag. Our music is by Gollum. Our audio engineering this week by Steve Whitus. Shalom, friends.